Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening, web down the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler, and this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina with my co-host Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Cordo from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508, or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there. You will find this show on page one tonight of that website. There's over 1,700 live shows that are active right now on that website, over 90 pages and you will find tonight's show on page one. Isn't that a blessing? Oh, yes, it is. We certainly appreciate that. And if you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts on the show, just give, send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can call Stevie B, me the production at the Carolina studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ, and if you need any assistance locating the congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and study along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day. 
and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be with my co-host Brian Christian Coleman and Steve Cordo as they break unto our listeners the bread of life. And I also ask your blessing upon my co-host Robert Lee Johnson, who will be answering our question on the show this evening that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you will bless them and their families that continue to support their efforts to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners who are tuning in this radio broadcast via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you, and that their hearts may be pricked, and it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who died such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. For we know that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak and falls short of thy will. For I pray you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful until death, Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. In the first segment of the broadcast, my co-host Brian Christian Coleman, he serves with the Newark Church of Christ there in Newark, New Jersey. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And we also have a question from my shout-out platform on social media, Facebook. I'll be posing to my co-host Robert Lee Johnson. He serves with the New Horizon Church of Christ there in Lake City, Florida. And to close out the show, my co-host Steve Corder, he serves as the evangelist there for the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles now and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice you'll be that of my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Show. 
listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host brian christian coleman good afternoon good evening ladies and gentlemen uh, those who are members of the church of christ i extend you welcome those who are visiting with us on our radio show this evening we also you are our honored guest and we ask and pray that what is said father will be will touch your hearts so you may wish to know more about Jesus and may put him on in baptism before it's everlastingly too late. It is a great honor and marvelous, marvelous privilege to be on our show this evening. I'd like to thank Brother Steve Butler for the mindset of having this program available, that all those who are gospel preachers on this show will be able to proclaim that there is only one church, and that church is the Church of Christ. I'd like you to please turn your Bible to the book of Matthew. And this is a familiar chapter for us who are students of the Bible. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19. And that's where we will launch our lesson this evening. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19. And the Bible says, When Jesus came unto the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, 
for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Praise God for the reading of his holy and blessed word. I like to speak as the Spirit guides me with this thought in mind. My subject this evening is a church founded on a solid ground, foundation. A church founded on a solid foundation. I'm sure that all of us will agree and recognize the fact that no building or institution can be stronger than the foundation on which it rests. If a building is not built on a strong, firm foundation, that building is sure to fall. If it is built on a sandy foundation, it is guaranteed to fall. You remember the parable in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. A man built his house on a rock. Not long after he built his house on that rock, a storm came. The winds blew. The rain beat upon that house. But the house stood because it was founded on a strong foundation. The parable goes on to tell us about a foolish man that built his house on a sandy foundation. Not long after that, the house was built on a sandy foundation. The winds blew upon the house. The rains beat upon it. And the Bible tells us that, and and great was the fall. When you build something on a sandy foundation, it is sure to fall. When you build your life on unstable foundation, I guarantee you that 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 great will be the fall. Many people in the world built their lives on unstable foundations. Some build their lives on unstable foundations, including money, jobs family, women, men, and especially man-made doctrine and the commandments of men. In the religious world today, there are incidents that that have occurred that has caused to shake up the religious world. Jim Jones, in 1979, led members of the People's Temple to Guyana, South America, causing over 909 men and women, including 304 boys and girls who drank deadly poison and died there in the jungles of Guyana. In 1893, David Koresh, who called himself Jesus Christ in the flesh, caused over 79 men and women, including children, to die in a fire when the FBI and the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms the uh, organization stormed his compound in Waco, Texas. In the late 1980s, we saw sexual scandals rock the religious world when crying lion Jimmy Swagger and Jim Baker were involved in extramarital affairs with young women. And folks began abandoning going to churches because they felt that since Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger had done this, then all preachers were the same. 
The problem with them was that they were worshiping the man instead of the plan. You have religious racketeers saying that you are that say they are healers and can heal you for of a de- of for any disease that you may have. Make sure you bring some money to get that healing. That's why the Bible tells us in First John four and one, believe it, beloved, excuse me, believe not every spirit, but but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Romans chapter sixteen verses. 17 and 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies, and with good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Do you know who the simple are? Those are people who don't know the Bible. And if you don't know the Bible, you will drift. You'll believe any form of man-made doctrine that is surely going to lead you astray. And let me drop this bomb while I'm flying over. That's exactly what Satan wants. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to be led astray by every wind of doctrine that is contrary to what the Bible says. Man has two choices in life. Either follow God's way to everlasting life or follow Satan to everlasting destruction. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 13 to 15, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Beware of false, false prophets, which come in, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. The Bible also says in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We need to remember that our enemy Satan is dedicated to his job. He does not call out sick. He doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't take a personal day. He is never late to work. He does not take a coffee break. And Satan is on his job 24 hours a day, seven days a week, including holidays. And we as members of the blood-bought, spirit-filled, hell-proof, heaven-bound Church of Christ need to be always ready to defend the truth. My first point is, it was founded on a scriptural foundation. The church is no different when it comes to being founded on a firm or sandy foundation. The church of the Bible must be founded on a firm foundation, or else it is destined to fail, just like you building a physical building. But thank God that the church of Christ is founded on a firm foundation. The scriptural church must have the scriptural foundation. Otherwise, it would not be scriptural. Thus, no man can consistently claim membership in the scriptural church unless he is a member of the church, founded upon the scriptural foundation. You may ask, 
What is the rock or foundation of the church? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Let's go back to our text, Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. This is where Peter made the confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus said unto Peter, And I also say unto thee that thou art Peter. Christ then stated that he was going to build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He promised to the to build his church upon this rock. What was the rock? The rock of the confession that Peter made, saying that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Now, Jesus was not referring to a physical rock, but he was referring to the rock of the statement that he was the Son of the living God. Then Jesus stated he was going to build the church, not Peter's church, but his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, many in the religious world uh, took this scripture and said that the church was founded on Peter. Many have been led to think that that it has a a reference to Peter since the word Peter means a rock or stone. But in the original language, it it will, will not permit this interpretation because two different words are used. Thou art Peter is Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church, Matthew 16 and 18. Jesus did not promise to build the church upon Peter, which means Petros, but upon the rock, Petra, instead. The grand and glorious fact that the church is the son of, of God, that Christ is the son of God. Hence, the Lord's church has not been founded upon the weaknesses of human flesh, but upon the divinity and sonship of Christ. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 11, for other, for other foundation can no man lay than that which was laid, which is Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 20, the Bible says, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Psalms 118 and verse 22, the stone which is the builders rejected, is because of the head of the corner. Jesus applied this prophecy to himself in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42. Peter also applied it to Christ in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 11. My second point is this foundation in the right scriptural place. Man in the religious world has built churches that have been built on shaky foundations. Say amen if you can. Well, you may say, well, a lot of these churches have been around for a very long time. Some have been around well over 1,000 years and are still in operation today. That may be true, but let me drop this bomb while I'm flying over this, this evening. Basically, all of these denominations that are in existence were started by uninspired men who did not follow the word of God. Well, they will argue, we have the Bible in our church. That is not the issue. Is your church in the Bible? Say amen if you can. Down my trumpet this evening. And if if you are not in the church, if you say your your church started after 8033, then I stop by to tell you that it was built too late. Say amen. 
it was not, if it was not founded in the scriptural place, then it is the wrong church. If it was founded in Rome, Italy, wrong place. If it was founded in Wittenberg, Germany, wrong place. London, England, wrong place. Switzerland, wrong place. Holland, wrong place. Mecca, wrong place. And even if it was founded in the United States of America, I stopped by to tell you, wrong place. The Bible church was founded in Jerusalem, and you can find this in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, and Zechariah 1, 16. Now they were commanded by Jesus to tarry in Jerusalem. We see this in Luke chapter 24 and 49. So the apostles watched Jesus ascend back to heaven. They waited in Jerusalem for the Comforter to come to them. And who was the Comforter, brothers and sisters, and those who are visiting all this this evening? That is the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, the apostles were baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts 2 and 4, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Many of the men that, that, that witnessed this was amazed by what they were hearing. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 7. Others were mocking the apostles, saying in Acts 2 and 13, These men are full of new wine. But Peter broke up the mocking and said to the men that were present in Acts 2.15, For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it was the third hour of the day. People were telling them that it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Y'all know the liquor store wasn't open that early. Say amen if you can. Then Peter began to preach the first gospel sermon and told these men that they took Jesus with their wicked hands and crucified Jesus Christ, who is God's son. The Bible says in Acts 2.37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter told them in Acts 2 and 38, repent and be baptized. For the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 2.41, then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. My friends, the Bible church, the church of Christ, was founded and established in Jerusalem. My last point, it is founded by the right builder. Come on, y'all, say amen. The Church of Christ by the right builder. You know in the United States there are over 300 denominations. In the entire world, there are over 3,000 different denominations. These denominations were all founded, as we have illustrated, after the Bible Church. The Church of Christ was established in A.D. 33, but these other churches were founded after A.D. 33, and they were not founded in Jerusalem, as the Bible illustrated. Where they were found? Well, the Catholic Church that was founded by Boniface III started in 606 A.D., and it was founded in Rome, Italy. The Lutheran Church, founded by Martin Luther, was founded in 1520 in Germany. The Episcopalian Church, which was started by King Henry VIII, 
was started in 1534 in London, England. The Baptist Church was started by John Smythe in 1607, and it was started in Holland. The Methodist Church was started by John Wesley, founded in 1739, and that was in London, England. The Latter-day Saints, started by Joseph Smith, which we'll leave in polygamy, y'all, was started in 1739 in America. The Jehovah's Witness was founded by Charles Taft Russell in 1872 here in America. The Church of God in Christ, started by C.H. Mason and C.P. Jones, started in 1897, and was started and founded in Memphis, Tennessee. All of these churches started too late for them to be the Bible church. All these churches were founded by uninspired men, authorized by God to build any church. All these churches have different doctrines. Some have doctrines that they say different things. Basically, you can go and read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. When you investigate in these and other denominations, you will discover different doctrinal viewpoints that they are all practicing in their faith. You will see differences in the days during the week where they gather to worship. One particular kind of denomination will be the Baptist Church. They worship on Sunday, but the but the Seventh-day Adventists, they worship on Saturday. Something's wrong. Also, you will see different ways in taking the communion. Some are going to tell you you need to take it every single day. That's the Catholics. Some are going to sit there and say you take it every three months. Some are going to say you got to take it quarterly. And the Jehovah's Witness, they take it every, only once a year. You're going to see different ways in baptism. Some are going to tell you that you got to get water poured on you. Others say you got to get sprinkled. Some say you're baptized, but you're not baptized for the remission of sins. You're baptized because of showing what God has done for you. That's the Baptist church. But there's only one way to be baptized. The only thing they all have in common is one thing, taking the collection. You can read this in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. It is also to mention that each of the founders mentioned are not the right builder of the church. Each of these men are not the designated founder of the church. Each of these men were not able to say, I will build my church. Only Christ can say that in Matthew 16 and 18. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus Christ is the builder of the Bible church. Jesus is married to his church. Just look how the text in Matthew 16 and 8 said, I will build my church. Everyone knows that it means one. You also see the grammatically that you see a single noun backed up by a single pronoun, my church. Also, the church is married to Christ. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians 5, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Don't just stop there. And he is the Savior. Hello? These men cannot be the Savior, but Christ is the Savior of the body. None of these men paid the ultimate sacrifice for the church. No, but only Christ died on Calvary's cross and purchased the church. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 and 25, husbands love your wives 
even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And one more thing that makes Jesus the builder of the Bible church is that Christ is the living head of the church. Every other man that has built a denominational church is dead and still dead. Muhammad died and is still dead. Buddha died and is still dead. Confucius died to die and is still dead. King Henry VIII died and is still dead. John Calvin, John Wesley, Mayor Becca Eddy, C.H. Mason, C.P. Jones, they all died and they're still dead. But let me sound my trumpet this evening. But Jesus Christ died. He was buried after being crucified on Calvary's cross. But Lord have mercy, he got up from the grave with all power in his hand. He died never to die again. The Bible church is weekly in its giving. 1 Corinthians chapters 2, verses 1 and 2. It is weekly in taking the Lord's Supper. Acts 20 and verse number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 30. No women preachers. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 34 and 35. Does not call the minister reverend. Psalms 111 and verse number 9. And baptizes for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. Now, if you are tired of false doctrine, if you are tired of following a false prophet and you want to know what must I do to be saved, what do I need to do to get myself, get myself right in the sight of God? What must I do to be saved? Well, the Bible teaches us you've got to hear the gospel, Romans ten seventeen. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You've got to then believe the gospel, John 8 and 24. Except you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot come. Then you must repent. Repent means change your mind so God can change your state. Luke 13, 3 and 5, the Bible teaches, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Then you must say with your mouth the sweetest words that you ever say. You've got to confess that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Acts chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. And then you must go down into the liquid tomb of baptism, where you will be baptized, you'll be baptized for the remission of your sins. And once you come up, baptism washes away your sins. Acts 22 and verse 16. Baptism makes you born again. John 3 and verse number 5. And also it makes you a child of God. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And Lord have mercy. Baptism adds you to the church of Christ. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 47. Now in closing, I know I've said a lot, but I put book, chapter, and verse to back it up. And if you are tired of living false in false doctrine, if you are tired of going away that is against the way God wants you to live, you have that opportunity to be able to find the church of Christ. And if you live in a particular location, all you got to do is call Brother Stevie Butler or write to him, text him, and let him know that you want to leave false doctrine and you want to become a member of the Church of Christ. I know he will find a congregation nearby. He will find a minister 
because we baptize any hour of the day and any hour of the night. You ain't got to wait till Sunday to get baptized. You can get baptized right now. You can call Brother, Brother Stevie Butler. He can let you know the congregation. He can go so far and call that congregation and says, I've got somebody who wants to put on Christ in baptism. I don't know who you are tonight, but I pray that this message has been encouraging for those who are members of the church and also is an encouragement and a support for those who are not members of the church who are honest with themselves that wish to know what God has to say in reference to worshiping him properly in spirit and in truth. I pray this message touches your heart. I pray that all has been said has been both pleasing and acceptable in God's sight. May God bless you and have a good evening. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out, question. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have a question from a social media platform called Shout It Out, and we want to pose our question to our co-host, Robert Lee Johnson, who serves with New Horizon Church of Christ there in Lake City, Florida. Robert, how you doing, my brother? Doing fine, sir. Yes, sir. And we also want to encourage our listeners to go to the group that's on social media, Facebook, and get involved in those biblical discussions. Now, Robert, we have a doozy of a question for you this evening. And this question okay. is from the number of this question is from an anonymous querist from the state of Texas, and it and this is what the querist said. In matters of serious judgment that could be taken before a local court, the Apostle Paul admonishes that serious judgment, that serious matters, rather, between brethren should not be taken before courts in this world but rather we should be able to judge amongst ourselves. And the scriptural reference that's given is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now, here's the question. Has anyone actually seen a congregation exercise such judgment as this to bring about resolution among brethren that could have otherwise been taken to a local court? Please provide some examples. Now, what say you to this question? Well, I think it's a great question. I really do. And uh, it is a question that we need to think about and and I believe institute in our congregations uh, because I think that's what the Bible says. But I do believe we have to have some understanding uh, when it comes to this particular uh, question. And I'll do my best uh, trying to answer it. I go first. I want to thank everyone for being present and listening, and I want to thank. I'm thankful for this opportunity to have something to say about the Word of God. Paul starts first, and uh, I go to First Corinthians six in answering this question. He says, "Dare any of you having a matter against another?" and uh, then he says, uh, let me find my place here, <clears throat> uh, to go to law before, okay, not quite there. Okay, there any of you having a matter against another, starting over in verse 1 here, First uh, Corinthians 6. He says, go to law before the unjust, and he says, and not uh, before uh, the saints. Uh, do you know that the saints shall judge uh, the world, and the world shall be judged by you? Are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that he shall judge? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life, uh, says the apostle, if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? Uh, no, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, 
uh, there is utterly a fault among you because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves uh, to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that uh, your brethren. So when I think about this, I think that there is a framework that we have uh, to deal with. Let's look at some observations as we deal uh, with the text uh, tonight. It seems to me that there are some natural qualifiers here, just like in so many other verses. For instance, Jesus taught, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. That's found in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number uh, 42. Yet no one would take the extreme position that we are to give indiscriminately to everyone who asks us for something. Because if we did, we wouldn't have anything ourselves. Uh, when Paul then teaches that Christians should allow themselves to be wronged, we can be certain that he is not advocating abject passivism that would neutralize us before our agitators and turn us into doormats upon uh, which to be trampled. So he's not asking us to do that or to be a doormat. Along these lines, the words of Jesus are applicable. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Matthew 24 uh, 43. In other words, this homeowner certainly would not have suffered himself to be defrauded. Instead, he would have defended himself and his property against the robbers. Christians today have the same rights uh, to self-defense and protection. It should also be noted that Paul actively participated in his own legal defense. To judge Felix, he said, I do, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Acts 20.14, far, far from allowing himself to be defrauded by the crooked judicial system. Hey, look at here. Paul pressed his defense by arguing that his accusers had no evidence in verse number 13 and that his case should be brought before Caesar, Acts 25 10 through 11. Jesus, as well as Paul, participated in his own defense with these simple, confident, and commanding words. Christ said, Thy said, Matthew 27, 11. These examples loom large for us and teach that Christians can stand up for themselves even in courts of law. Secondly, I point out today that Paul's very own framing of these verses is helpful in establishing his particular approach. At least three indicators from Paul are notable. Number one, I speak to your shame, 1 Corinthians 6, 5. Number two, 
there is utterly a fault among you, in verse 7, and number 3, ye do wrong, according to verse 8. Clearly, something was amiss in the practice of the Corinthians, and Paul's efforts were being spent to address and correct this matter. In doing so, we may find Paul's use of some powerful literary devices. For example, when Paul states that Christians would judge angels and then mitigates that fact a few lines, a few lines later by adding, I speak to your shame. The reader here may detect evidence of irony. Also, when Paul states that saints would judge the world amid a context of utter faults and wrongdoing among the Corinthians, the reader may well infer the possible use of hyperbole or, or even sarcasm. One's own allegiance to the plenary verbal inspiration of the scriptures is not at all threatened by the acceptance of such stylistic phenomena. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through people, 2 Samuel 23.2. Yet people are not always on and even killed. Emotion can be expressed in words as well as actions, and that even from inspired individuals. Who does not recall Moses' expressed agitation in hitting the rock instead of speaking to the rock? Numbers 20 and verse 11. Such annoyance can likewise be conveyed also in words. Now, when we look at the text, Paul says, how dare you do such a thing? Is perhaps a modern equivalent to Paul's opening question of verse 1. Dare is used by Paul to point out the like of shame thus shown. Linsky so observes. The exact nature of the cases being brought to court is not specified, though verse 2 identifies such as the smallest matters. And so Paul is simply saying to saints of God, how can you take before a worldly court spiritual matters that you ought to be able to address and take care of in the church of God. Uh, this is what he wants them to know. Uh, he is not forbidding them to go to court on matters where it is necessary uh, to be in court and to take a brother there or to uh, be able to defend yourself uh, in court. I do not think that that's what he is saying, but rather I believe he is talking about spiritual matters uh, wherein God has spoken, given them his word, and therefore they should have been able to uh, speak one to another and make spiritual judgments on them. Now, let me see if I can make some applications here as we continue in our study. A first point of application is that the Christian's right to defend himself does not end at the court's front door. A Christian woman, for example, who is sued for divorce 
by her Christian husband is not left without recourse. It is the opinion of ministers of the gospel of Christ that such Christians who are forcibly dragged into court do not sin in their participation. The unbelievable ease with which one can sue another means that any Christian, right thinking or not, can bring a suit against any other Christian. In such astonishing instances, must we really believe that a Christian cannot defend himself in such suits? That is not my defense here today. That view would hold every Christian hostage to the whims of mean-spirited brethren. Further, let us assume that a church member is maliciously, seriously harmed by another member who refuses to accept responsibility for his actions. Is it truly the case that the brother who is wrong cannot go on offense and pursue, even through legal means, what is rightfully his? In Romans 13, 1, that verse informs us that the government is an institution ordained by God. It is therefore reasonable to conclude that Christians may use it as a resource in time of need. Paul demonstrated a wonderful connection to the legal framework of his time. His question, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman? And uncondemned, Acts 22 and verse number 25. What does that demonstrate, Brother Johnson? Well, that demonstrates his willingness to defend himself with the laws of the land. What if the ones beating Paul had been erring members of the church? In the name of not going to court against a brother, are we really to believe that Paul would have no choice but to tolerate the beatings with no legal recourse? Dear friends, one should not come to that particular uh, decision. Now, a second point of application is that selfish indulgence is not the way to find Christ. Our society, perhaps a lot like early Corinth, is incredibly litigious. We would, of course, not go so far as to say that every lawsuit is the result of greed, but who would deny that many surely are? In one such example, we find that people have gone to court for the instance of extracting uh, money from people uh, that they did not deserve, and if one had not stood up for himself in this particular case, he would have lost a great deal of money. In another ridiculous suit, a man wanted by police lay hidden in the woods of Maine for a long period of time. As a result, the fugitive suffered frostbite and had to have a few of his toes amputated. This criminal actually sued the police department for not finding him fast enough. <laughs> Look at here. He claimed that if they had apprehended him sooner, he would not have lost 
his appendages. The abuse of such rights cannot but harm a society, as is the case in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 uh, through 6. While we can all expect the right to self-defense and protection, and Christians are additionally assured the providential protection of God, no one of us should expect life to be a pain-free experience. We should not expect that to be the case. The world will not cater to us, and we set ourselves up for disappointment if we expect such preferential treatment when we are only concerned with ourselves, our regard for our fellow man becomes lost. A third point of application is that our treatment of others proves to have far-reaching consequences. When our own actions present a disjointed picture of the Lord's body, we should not be surprised that the world does not ask us uh, to show them the way of salvation and peace. When our own dirty laundry is aired, we should not be amazed that the world does not seek our help in removing the stain of sin from the souls of men. A like a unity removes a potent evangelistic weapon from the Christian spiritual arsenal that we can ill afford to be without. This passage, as I conclude today, along with so many others, is rich with depth of meaning and application. We do well to drink deeply from these living waters. May God bless us in our efforts as we continue uh, to serve him. Now, as I recall, the question asks for examples. Do you have examples of congregations uh, abetting and helping people in situations of of this kind. And sad to say, I, I do not find a lot of instances where congregations are out there trying to help uh, people in resolving and solving these issues. Now, the Bible plainly says that uh, we are not to carry spiritual matters before the world. But every matter is not a spiritual matter. And when one is defrauded and wronged uh, from the standpoint of the world, it is my belief and understanding that one has every right to go to court and to so defend himself there. I do not say that I've been thorough or complete in giving my answer today, but I've done the best that Robert Johnson could do. You have a wonderful day, and may you continue to listen to the Gospel Light radio program. Shout it out question. <laughs> you're listening to you're listening to the Gospel Light radio show. And if you miss me from singing, sing it. 
And you can't find me nowhere Glory Come on up to glory Glory I'll be singing the fair Yes, I will And I know the Lord He will greet me Over yonder Over on the other shore To glory. glory, I'll be praising the fair. Heard a minister say to see other days listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. This is a program reminder. Stevie B's Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. The telephone number to the live show is 713 955 
0508. And the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening, I'm hosting a live show, What a Word from the Lord radio show. And this show will air every second, third, and fourth Tuesday of the month. The second Tuesday of the month, this show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And I have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ who will be making their proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And also during that show, we have a community corner segment for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have Protestant services for our community. I also have two co-hosts on that show. Lou Gilbert, he's the evangelist for the Oakbrook Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Isa Mullins, he served the Church of Christ there in Cary, North Carolina. And the third Tuesday of the month, the show will air from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. My co-host, Dr. Antherica Lane, She's a board-certified obstetricianist and gynecologist. She serves with the Gray Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she'll be hosting her show, Conversations with Dr. Lane. And then on the fourth Tuesday of the month, this show will air from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host, Kelly Fletcher, she serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she'll be hosting the Kelly Fletcher Show. Then on Thursday evening, each week from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting the live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show. And I have seven co-hosts on this show, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Steve Porter from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Clinic Brothers from the state of Illinois, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of of New Jersey. And on this show, my co-host will be presenting lessons from the Word of God. And each week, I'll be have, I have two co-hosts on the air with me. I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out. I'll be posting one of my co-hosts on that live show as well. And then on Friday night, I'll be hosting a live show from, six, from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. This show is called Stevie B. Acapella Gospel Music Blast. And this radio show is the 2022 recipient for the NACAMA, the National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artists Award for Outstanding Achievement in Record or Radio. And on this show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the Sweet Sounds of Voices, and we're also interviewing artists, producers, comedians, etc. And we're also debuting new music and featuring old music on this radio show as well. Every third Friday of the month, I'm doing my Top 20 Countdown show, and we also have on-demand episodes where you get your uh, favorite podcast from. Just go to the various musical platforms and search for Stevie B Media Productions. You go to Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, YouTube, etc. just to name a few. And we also have recorded versions uh, of these shows we've done here on Blog Talk Radio, and we use the same playlist. I just took my voice out of that particular live show. And these shows can only be heard on iHeartRadio, on uh, Amazon Music, on Deezer, and also uh, just search for Stevie B recorded version shows. We also want to thank all of our sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. If you'd like to become a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And her telephone number is 954-687-4705. The three E's of Stevie B Media Production. It is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate. We want to edify. 
And we want to encourage you in a study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. My co-host, Steve Cordo, is up next. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Our hearts desires must face the winds of doubt Expecting things from above and wanting now Seeking first the kingdom of God And all these things will be added unto you Material things 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co host, Steve Cordo. Good evening, Stevie. Thank you again for having me on the program, and welcome to our audience on the Blog Talk Radio platform or wherever you happen to be listening. Thank you for taking time out of your evening to join us. And if you have your Bible handy, want to open up to uh, the Gospel of John. We're going to look at some passages there, and uh, or open it up on your app on your electronic device, however uh, you want to get there. And in uh, John chapter 18, I want to stop there uh, first. This is uh, the scene where Jesus is standing before Pilate, and he's being interrogated, and Pilate uh, asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies, well, my kingdom is not of this world. Okay. Are you a king then? He asks. Well, you rightly say that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who who is of the truth hears my voice. And this is where Pilate asks the famous question, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So I get the impression he didn't wait around very long to get the answer to his question. Because it looks like there's actually no cynicism in the whole thing to some people. I mean, there's several different ways you could take uh, the dialogue here between Pilate and Jesus. Cynicism uh, on Pilate's part or... Uh, maybe even some sarcasm, uh, some have thought absolute frustration, lots of ways you could take it. you got to remember, Pilate grew up in a pagan society, Roman and Greek gods. Actually, they were all Greek. The Romans just took them and gave them different names, and, and uh, but appropriated those uh, gods. And they were basically like superhuman men. They had the same lusts and desires as human beings. And then, of course, Caesar claimed to be worshipped as a god. And so you got all these opposing philosophies. So you know, Pilate could be genuinely uh, confused. He could be genuinely, uh, uh, you know, flummoxed by this whole thing. 
And remember, he's appointed the governor by Rome, and as far as Rome is concerned, might makes right. And he's appointed to rule over the Jews. I get the impression that he's really frustrated with his career, that he doesn't want to be here. He thinks he should be in Rome as the chief of staff or some advisor to the emperor, but he's stuck out here uh, in this assignment that he really doesn't want. And so now he's got to settle this dispute among the Jews. And he wants to try and get out of it as best he can. Now, in our culture, we question whether truth is even uh, exists. Pilate says, what is truth? And so he's kind of um, implying that he believes there is truth. But we today are saying, is there truth? And if so, can we know it? Is there anything we can call absolute truth? Can anyone know truth with any kind of certainty? Is it even important that we know truth? Here's a quote that I had from a, uh, I found it, I think, on a Facebook page, uh, something called Truth Theory. And they give this uh, uh, statement or definition. They said, truth is subjective and can differ from person to person dependent on your worldview. However, honesty comes from a place of uncorrupted purity. And while we know that not everyone will agree on all the ideas expressed, we will never purposely create a disharmony for alternative agendas. Okay, so that's their definition of honesty. Now notice they said truth is subjective. So my question to them is, okay, if you're sitting at the defense table in a courtroom and I get called as a witness, I raise my right hand to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, do you still want to go down that road that truth is subjective? Because if it is, I could get away with saying a lot of things, but if you believe truth is subjective, then I can say whatever I want because that's my truth, and it may differ from your truth. My truth may put you at the scene of the crime, but your truth says, no, I was at the movies. So see, the idea that truth is subjective is nonsense. There is objective truth, and this is part of the series I've been doing about answering today's culture based partially on the book, True for You, But Not for Me, by Paul Copen. And when I presented this lesson to the congregation, I uh, uh, had some um, statistics here from the Barna group. George Barna and his research group do a lot of polling on American uh, religious beliefs and practices and trends and that sort of thing. And this is a survey on American worldview inventory is what it's called. It was taken in February of 2021, so it's fairly recent. I try to find uh, statistics like this to be as uh, – I try to find the most recent that I can. It was published in October of 2021 uh, in the Washington Times. And this is called the American Worldview Inventory 2021, rep a representative sample of 2,000 U.S. adults uh, from the, they were found through the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, and they interviewed a thousand people by telephone and a thousand people via online questionnaires throughout the month of February 2021. Here's what they found: 88% of the respondents said they fashion a unique philosophy of life from the personally appealing parts of multiple worldviews. So they take worldviews from that they like from Christianity, maybe a little from Islam, maybe a little from this country, from that country, uh, from uh, whatever school, whatever uh, uh, culture that they like, and they put it together to come up with their worldview. 54% of the survey's respondents uh, embrace the postmodern idea that all truth is subjective and there are no moral absolutes. Now notice that number, 54%. 
And if they did their surveying right, I did not get the margin of error, but if they did their surveying right, now I'm going to guess that uh, the actual numbers are going to be within plus or minus about four points. So we've got in round figures about half to a little more than half of Americans who don't think that there are moral absolutes and that truth is subjective. And 39% of respondents said that human life has no intrinsic value. So a little bit more than one in three of these respondents don't think that any human life has any intrinsic value over anything else. 29% expressed their commitment to getting even with those who wronged them rather than forgiving, and 28% said they treat people based on their current feelings and circumstances. So if you come into my business, my restaurant, or my store, if I'm having a good day, then I'm probably going to treat you right. But if I got uh, crossways with that customer who was here five minutes ago before you got here, then I might not be quite so nice. So why do people reject the notion of absolute truth? Well, I've got a couple of reasons here, and there may be others, but possible reasons why people uh, object to uh, absolute truth are, number one, they feel that absolute truth is just too hard, if not impossible to find. Um, another another thing, and this is people who I, I think agnostics fall into this category. Yeah, there's a God out there somewhere, but because of all the religions, I can't take the time, not going to be bothered to to find truth in that because it's just there's just too much there and it's just too hard second they like to blame so-called charlatans when you look at people who have and this is kind of related to the first reason really uh, there are many who honestly believe that they have truth or at least have access to it but there are plenty of people who exploit the desire for truth these are the people who sell phony cure-alls for various needs uh, spiritual or physical and then uh, there are, for a lot of people, it's easier to believe in relativism because there is no accountability standard. So if my lifestyle fits my personal definition of truth, then it's okay for me, even if you think it's wrong. And relativism is the concept that points of view have no absolute truth or validity within themselves. Everything is relative. So in plain English, what is true for you might not be true for me, and vice versa. So this lesson that I'm, I'm doing today is part of a series that I uh, presented a month or two back to the congregation called Answering Our Culture. And this lesson is entitled, Don't Believe in Absolute Truth? Well, are you absolutely sure about that? Give that a minute to let it sink in and think about it. Now, if truth is relative, then all spiritual truth is valid. John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But if all spiritual truth is valid, then all religions and philosophies carry the same weight. Christianity really is no better than Islam or Judaism or Buddhism or whatever. Fill in the blank religion. And if truth is relative, what do you do with spiritual truths that are mutually exclusive? In other words, you take Christianity and Islam. Both religions claim exclusivity. Christianity says we are the we have the truth. We are the only way to get to God. Islam comes along and says, no, we have the truth. We have uh, uh, the way to get to God. You must be a Muslim. So what do you do with that? Now, they can both be wrong. Maybe Hinduism or maybe some other faith uh, is right. Okay, but they can't both be right. 
This is what we call the law of non-contradiction. You cannot have two opposing statements and say they're both true. They can both be wrong, but not true. So if truth is relative, then persuasion is not allowed. You have to tolerate every other belief. Jesus said, remember, he is the only way to God, that no one comes to the Father except through him. So how can that be if all, relative, if all truth is relative? You cannot have mutually exclusive viewpoints. And persuasion uh, is, uh, is something that we can't do. Now, if truth is relative, if you are as tolerant as you claim, then you have no right to judge my position as being invalid, even if you disagree. In other words, my, exclusive, my exclusivist Christian uh, views must be accepted by you as being valid if you're going to be consistent in your observation of tolerance, that all truths must be tolerated. Maybe sounds a little confusing, but this is where we get into the whole non-contradiction thing. You can't tell me that my exclusive viewpoint is wrong if you say all viewpoints are right. But there's going to be a little bit of a contradiction there. Now, if truth is relative, then there cannot be moral absolutes. And the usual context of this is that no one can make moral judgments on someone's lifestyle choices. And first of all, I'll tell you that I have found absolutely no one who doesn't make moral judgments at some point in time. There are always, there's always going to be a point where we do make moral judgments. Let me give you some examples. Now, these are extreme examples that I'm giving. But if it is true that there are no moral absolutes and that we cannot uh, uh, make moral judgments, let me ask you, what do you do with these individuals? I'm going to give you some names, and if you believe that there are no moral absolutes, tell me what you do with them. What do you do with people like Charles Manson? If there are no moral absolutes, what do you do with people like Adolf Hitler? And if there are no moral absolutes, what do you do with Joseph Stalin? And if there are no moral absolutes, what do you do with Mao Zedong? Charles Manson, I think it was only, it was like eight uh, people or something like that that he murdered. Not anywhere near the same league as uh, the other three, but all four of those men saw nothing wrong with what they were doing. So what do you do between Hitler, Stalin, and, and uh, Mao Zedong? We'll probably never know the exact number, but there is somewhere in the vicinity of 100 million, probably more, people that uh, were put to death because they were of a different religion, a different race, of a different political belief than what these uh, uh, three men were. The Holocaust, there were Stalin's purges in the 30s and 40s, and the Mao Zedong's great leap forward. If you believe that there are no moral absolutes, what do you do with them? Do you actually draw a line and say, okay, these people definitely are evil. They were wrong uh, with everything that they did. They are some of the worst uh, blotches on human history. Or do you say, well, you know, we can't judge. You know, that's up to the listener to decide. I'll go ahead and, and make the judgment. They were evil, horrible human beings. And I think we can base that uh, not just on uh, my own personal philosophy, but we can base that on Scripture. And we can remember to judge with righteous judgment that these men uh, were terrible people. Now, if truth is absolute, then finding truth is possible, and truth can be found. Truth may be difficult to find, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible. Because truth must be objective. It must be true for all people. It must be universal. That is true in all places and inconsistent. That is true for all times. You know, I have a tape measure here. If I measure 12 inches, 
that's a foot. If I go get on the scale and 16 ounces is a pound. That's the way it works here in Illinois. Now, if I go out to Stevie's house in North Carolina with my tape measure and I measure uh, a table uh, in his house, 12 inches, guess what? It's a foot. I go get on the scale there, 16 ounces is still a pound. That's a universal truth. If I go, uh, I lived in Canada for a while, guess what? 12 inches is a foot up there. If I go over to Europe, 12 inches is a foot. Now, they might use metrics and we have to do some conversions, but the universal measurements are the same. Those are absolute universal truths. There's a story about uh, Abraham Lincoln having a disagreement with a man, and this story has been told with a few variations. But the gist of it is he asked the man, how many legs does a dog have? Sometimes it's a cow, but it doesn't matter. And the man said, four. So Lincoln says, okay, what if we call the tail a leg? Then how many legs would a dog have? And the man said, well, then he'd have five legs. And Lincoln said, no, that's where you're wrong. Calling a tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. Now, if you're not willing to come to standards like this, then I would guess that you're not really seeking truth. You're seeking more justification. And that's not really being intellectually honest now, is it? You sometimes have to admit that, yeah, okay, I blew that call. I, I made a wrong, wrong call there. Seeking truth and hoping to possess it someday is not arrogant. It's an admission that you don't know everything. That's just an, uh, just being honest, that there are still things that uh, that we all have to learn. Where can absolute truth be found? Well, my answer, of course, is going to be in the pages of Scripture. And I can tell you with confidence that the Bible is full of truths that will change your life for the better. It, the Bible is relevant for our life here today in the 21st century, just as it has been in the, in the 20 or more centuries before it. Now, in the Bible, the word truth and true and truly, those appear between them about 338 times. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth 80 times in the Bible, and another 20 times he says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, God believes in truth. All truth is God's truth. So if you find something that claims to be truth but contradicts the, the, the word of God, well, that's not going to be truth. That's going to be error. Uh, just like if uh, you're in a, in a church or a group that says, hey, you want to become a Christian? Here, pray this prayer. That's error. You don't find that taught anywhere in Scripture. In John chapter 17, remember Jesus there, and when he's in the garden, he's having his final prayer before he goes to the cross. He says, they, referring to his disciples, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As the message about Jesus was heard and believed and understood, you notice the disciples' hearts, uh, their minds were and hearts were changed too. See, truth has got to be communicated. And Jesus communicated it. He embodied it. He didn't just communicate it. He embodied truth. Titus chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 6. If someone ever says, hey, is there something God can't do? Well, as a matter of fact, there are some things God can't do. God cannot lie. Titus chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 6. See, if you're serious about finding the truth, go to the source that, the source that doesn't change. Absolute truth can be found. And if absolute truth exists, then it must be acted upon. It's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to actually act on it and, and use it. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus issues a new challenge when he gives us a call there to discipleship. And if we desire to truly be his disciple, then we need to hold or hold to or continue uh, in his word. 
And that includes the moral truth. That includes saving truth, living truth. It's not simply something that we need to know. It's something we need to do. put it into action. And if absolute truth exists, then anything untrue needs to be rejected. Now, if you know the truth, falsehoods have got to be tossed aside. And this is where a person has to recognize that some things are true and others are not. And in this case, you need to make some judgments regarding truth and error. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You need to decide if Jesus is telling the truth in that statement. Or is he lying? Or was he insane? You've got to make that call. And if you believe Jesus was telling the truth, then what are you going to do with it? Because if Jesus is lying, or if he's in error, uh, in which case he would be uh, insane for claiming to be the only way to God, then you need to reject it. But if he's telling the truth, then you need to act on it. You need to come to Jesus. You need to reject other teachings that say all paths lead to God. Because Jesus claimed to be the exclusive path. You cannot believe that Jesus is the only way and still believe that a a Buddhist or a Muslim uh, is also on a path to heaven. Because when you look at the claims of Jesus, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. Uh, That's uh, the embodiment of what is needful to impart immortality on us. The way. And if you're following in his footsteps, you will be on that sure path. Jesus said, I am the truth. He's, notice, he didn't say, I am truth. He said, I am the truth. And that's uh, the key uh, to truth is for us to understand that. And then he said, I am the life. He is the life itself, the living waters, the bread of life, the source from whence uh, the, 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 the germination of, Im, of, our, of our being is uh, imparted onto us. And then he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So not only can no one enter the Father's house without Jesus, but no one can come to the Father on earth and enjoy his, uh, his favor. So this uh, means we've got to decide what we're going to do. If you believe Jesus is the truth, then you need to make that commitment, uh, the way, the truth, and the life. You need to commit yourself also to seeking that truth. The commitment can be tough. We've got to be honest. It may mean you have to change some beliefs. I had to change some of my religious beliefs. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul told Timothy that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So sometimes truth is going to be painful. If you, uh, you know, I didn't really grow up in a religious home, but I, I thought I was a Christian from about my junior year of high school until about my junior year of college, so about four years there or so, give or take. And it really uh, was like a two-by-four between the eyes when I realized that some of the stuff that I believed was incorrect, and that can be uh, painful. Truth can be unpleasant because we don't want to face the truth about our past. We don't want to face our failures. We don't want to face the fact that we might be wrong. We humans don't like to do that. We like to put spin on it. I mean, just look at the next uh, political press conference. When they get asked a tough question, you notice they try to, they don't always say, hey, you know, you know what, that piece of legislation was really a dumb idea. No, they're going to spin it and try to make themselves look positive because we don't like to face our failures. And then I need to commit myself. Once I have committed myself to seeking truth and accepting it, no matter how painful or awkward it is, I need to commit myself to living the truth. 
And that's going to be harder to do sometimes. But truth is not something that you know. It's something that you do. It's something you put into practice. And Jesus requires that childlike faith where we trust and we accept. We don't do it blindly. You know, kids like to ask a lot of questions. I got a nine-year-old, almost 10-year-old. And we get into a lot of discussions where she asks me about 30 or 40 why, 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 why questions. She's very inquisitive. And so ask questions. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. This is an important matter when we're looking at truth. Believers, remember, are called to maturity. And that's part of living the truth. We grow in it. We study it. We learn more about it. I commit myself to believing the truth. And this isn't as easy as it seems on the surface because that means you have to reject error. This goes back to... I had to reject the error uh, of the uh, beliefs that I had when I became a Christian, and that was a little tough to do. Trying to explain to friends in the religious group I was in why I'm not there anymore, Uh, and it, it, it got a little tense sometimes. And then what has to be emphasized is that you must choose to believe Jesus many times at the expense of everything else. At the expense of our previous religion, at the expense maybe it may mean uh, some awkward uh, situations with family. But you've got to remember Jesus promised that obeying his truth would lead to spiritual freedom, allowing you to enjoy all the benefits God has for you. Jesus promised that he would give you a full life. It won't always be easy, but it's going to be abundant if you will accept the truth, because there is absolute truth, there is absolute right and wrong. And if you want to be a Christian, you have to accept the Bible uh, in, in whole, not just in part. But you have to accept the whole thing and accept Jesus at his word. And if we can help you with that, uh, contact any of the hosts on the show or contact Stevie. We'll be glad to help you get on the right path, find somebody in your area who can teach you what you need to do to become a Christian, what you need to do uh, so that you can be saved. And thank you for joining us and spending your evening with us. Thank you, Stevie, for having me on the program. That's the conclusion of my lesson. And we'll uh, be with you in the next uh, in the next podcast. We'll see you. Have a blessed rest of your week. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I know, Lord, I know the Lord. You'll take care. Take care of me. Yes, He will. I know the
should tell him how I took care of you. Sometimes I gain all by mistake. Lord, I don't know. Just don't know what to do. I start to look back over my life. And in your word, I know. Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. I want to thank you for spending a little time with us this evening in a study of God's Word. I want to thank my co-hosts, Brian Christian Coleman and Steve Cordell. Great job. They both did an outstanding job in their proclamation of the gospel of Christ. They always do a great job. I'm just so thrilled to have such faithful uh, gospel preachers on this program, and I look forward each week, Lord willing, to hear them each week. And I, I sit here and I listen to everything that goes on on this broadcast. And I am just so thrilled to have a good team uh, working with me in this production. I also want to thank my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson. That, that was a great question that was asked uh, in the, on that Shouted Out platform. We want to encourage our listeners to go to that platform and get involved in those biblical discussions. And my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson, did a great job and breaking that question down. I certainly appreciate everyone who participated on the show this evening. What a blessing. It's my prayer that these lessons that were given on this broadcast have been uh, beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in this radio broadcast, but you're giving yourself over to a study of God's word. So, uh, so until we meet again, I pray God's continual blessings upon your lives and that he bless you real real good. You've been listening to the Gospel Light radio show on behalf of my co-host. We really do appreciate your love and support for these programs. I'm your host, Steve R. Butler. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light radio show. 
How many can testify this morning that the Lord is worthy of all the praise, the glory, and the honor? Gave his life on Calvary for a sinner like you and me. So we ought to just give God the highest praise. Just to tell him thank you. Y'all want to help me this morning? Won't you help me sing? Hallelujah. Help me sing. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's worthy of praise, glory, and honor. I'm going to give him the highest praise for all of my days. Y'all don't mind, just let me tell you a few reasons why we should praise him. Come on. See, it's God that woke us all up this morning. Yeah, clothes on the back, food on the table. Why we ought to give him the highest praise. That ain't all he done, all he done. Nails in his hands, nails in his feet for a sinner like you and me. That's why we ought to praise him in this Y'all, we didn't deserve it. No. Come on, we ought to give him all on praise. And y'all, come on and help me sing this song right here. I said, let the spirit, let it fire. Come on, let the spirit, let it rise. The praises of the king, Well, I'm gonna, and you wanna, we gotta, hey, oh, 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 yeah, I'm gonna let it rise. Let it the glory of the Lord, sing let the Oh, 
hands and say, if I had ten thousand hands, if I had ten thousand hands, I would bless you as you come and oh Lord, you are the holy one. Let me hear you say, holy, holy, hallelujah. Oh, Lord, that all the glory is due nobody but you, Lord. He said it's all about you, Lord. You are the holy one, yeah. You're the one, you're the You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.